Welcome to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. Welcome back to A Fork in Time. I'm Don Shelley, your host. Appreciate you joining us today as we embark on an episode that's a little bit different also than some of the other episodes that we've had in the history, the short history of the podcast so far. And that so often here on A Fork in Time, we are talking about very historic, uh, impactful events that have a lot of consequence that are very serious. Uh, Today, we're going to move more towards the area of folly and look at a historical what if that, while it's important, and I think we'll go to understand its importance more as we move through the episode today, uh, but also categorizes itself in uh, not being fatal. Fun, but not fatal might be a good way to think about it. We're going to look today at the historical what if, if one of the most successful, in fact, probably the most successful movie franchise of all time, uh, that would be the Star Wars movie franchise, if it had been a flop. In other words, back in uh, the late spring of 1977 as we find the premiere of what was episode four a new hope although at that time we just called it star wars uh the first of what is soon to be nine films in the in the series proper plus the other films that have been made in the quote-unquote star wars universe Uh, if that film which uh has established so much of what we understand in terms of culture had been a flop. In other words, if Star Wars had not been successful. Of course, the obvious well-known reality is that Star Wars was a massive success, by far the most profitable movie franchise of all time, and actually ranking according to the list on Wikipedia that I'm looking at at the time of the recording of, uh, of this episode, it is the fifth largest media franchise of all time. Uh, Just in case you're curious, because I found that an interesting thing to reference as well, Uh, the list goes Pokemon, Hello Kitty, Winnie the Pooh, Mickey Mouse, and Friends, and Star Wars. So something as iconic as Mickey Mouse is what's required to beat out Star Wars with an estimated $65 billion of total revenue, looking not only at box office sales, uh, but also at merchandise sales, home video book sales, all of the crossover that exists in media. And so... Uh, To say that Star Wars is not a flop is sort of by definition what is not a flop. It's on the far other end of the spectrum. Uh, However, if we look at what it might have been in terms of uh, the difference in terms of cultural phenomenon as a flop, I think we'll see even more so that it wasn't just about the money that it's made, but it's about the influence that it's had upon society. For the podcast today, I'm going to be joined actually by two co-hosts. That's going to be a first here for the podcast. One of them you're going to be familiar with. That's Ryan Cole, who had previously co-hosted on Episode 7. That's where we are revisiting the uh, the idea of integration in Major League Baseball, uh, the title of that episode being 42 Revisited. Uh, as I mentioned, at that time, Ryan is a, a friend of mine personally, but also uh, uh, the son of one of, my, one of my good friends. I'm also joined by one of my high school classmates, 
who's Robert Koshu. Both of these gentlemen will introduce themselves when we actually uh, get around to the podcast proper here, which we've already recorded. I'm recording this intro ahead of that. Uh, And uh, I wanted to actually bring to this podcast a little bit more of a panel discussion. We had someone who was going to be on the panel that would have been a third, because I wanted to see Star Wars sort of looked at the lens through different people, but also through different generations. And so we'll discover and explore as we go through the recording that uh, Robert and Ryan represent different generations. Robert being closer to my generation, so Ryan's a little bit outnumbered in the generational span. But I think you'll notice that Ryan is able to bring unique insights because he comes from a generation later uh, coming around to the Star Wars phenomena, the original movies, but then also at the time that he becomes a fan is during the the period of time that the uh, that the prequel trilogy is being released. And so I think you'll you'll appreciate. I certainly appreciated or, or enjoyed while we were recording the generational aspect of what's there. Gonna apologize in advance for a little bit of the audio. There are gonna be times that Robert is gonna be a little bit difficult to hear. I tried to do some adjustments with the uh, with some editing and, and I think did the best that I could. Uh, but just ask you to bear with it. Uh, certainly couldn't go back and totally re-record the entire episode, uh, but I also thought it was uh, worthy enough to retain. So just ask for your indulgence as a listener as we as we dealt with some of the issues there of recording the uh, the internet part of the conversation. And so as I begin the introduction here now uh, for the episode proper, the, the next thing that you'll hear will be Robert's introduction, uh, followed by Ryan's introduction. Again, I hope you enjoyed this exploration down the path of what would have happened if Star Wars had been a flop. Name's Robert Koshu. I am a corporate trainer by trade in my day job for a Fortune 500 company. Uh, Avocationally, I serve with the Association for Talent Development here in Houston, has an actual vice president of professional development this year. Uh, I'm also, and I plugged your podcast on mine, I'm also a panelist on the Man Up Spiritual Oasis for Men podcast annually that can be found on uh, Twitter, Facebook, and our website www.manupspiritualoasis.com. So love podcasting. Um, it's one of my things. And when you put the first thing out, you put something. I remember you putting something out, Don, on your Facebook page before you even started saying, hey, I'm thinking about doing this. What do you think? And I was one of the guys that was like, oh, that would be awesome. Because I love reading counter history and counterfactual stuff. Um, I'm a huge fan of Newt Gingrich's novels that he did re- around the Civil War where Lee had won Gettysburg, and then also second book that he did where the Japanese actually came back and had the third wave attack at Pearl Harbor and was that were actually successful. So huge fan of that kind of stuff. So when you threw this out, I was like, oh, yeah. And then I'm a huge geek, so when you ask, I'll be happy to share my Star Wars story. Well, cool. Again, Robert, it's good to have you joining us. And uh, uh, certainly invite you and suggest that you check out uh, Robert's uh, podcast there that he mentioned and I'll include uh, the links to that in the show notes to make it easy to find since I know you may be driving down the road while you're listening to this so uh, let's make it easy for you to uh, to connect to those things when you're there. Uh, listeners of the podcast will be familiar with our other guest tonight that's Ryan Cole. Ryan was actually our technically Ryan you were the first guest on one of our uh, podcast episodes so you are now you're now holding the position of being the first return guest on podcast no, no, no pressure that, no, no pressure at all with, does that come with the pay bump though it actually comes we double your salary 
Wow. Okay. We all know how math. We all know how mathematics works. So uh, we know I could have said quadruple or a million times your salary, and we would have had the same number out to the right of the equal it, sign. But it's uh, a bargain at any price. I agree. I, I, Ryan joined us on. If those of you that listened to episode seven, which was our examination, which we called Forty Two Revisited, which was yes. examining what would have happened to Major League Baseball if integration had actually happened earlier than the integration that we're most familiar with Jackie Robinson. So glad that Ryan could join us back here. And uh, Ryan, folks may not have heard that podcast, so I'll let you introduce yourself just like Robert did and tell folks a little bit about you. Sure. So I'm currently a civil engineering student at University of Houston. I'm also working for a civil engineering company in Houston at the moment right now. Uh, In a past life, I was a public school teacher for five years. Uh, I guess I'm still technically a professional musician because I do get paid to play music at my church every Sunday. But I've uh, been a musician for a long time, uh, playing piano primarily, but uh, a bunch of different instruments, a bunch of different types of music. I was going to say that I don't have a website really to plug like you gentlemen do, but uh, I guess I do have a a band uh, called Jonah and the Wailers, and maybe we could put that out there too. Uh, We actually just met uh, last week to talk about an upcoming project, so we've got some things moving on that front. But um, yeah, I've been a fan of Star Wars for a while. I mean, at least since I was a preteen, I would say 11 or 12 and get more into that a little bit later, but I'm excited to be here and looking forward to talking Star Wars. I appreciate it, Ryan. And they will certainly include that. Jonah, Jonah and the Whalers, I think, did their Christmas album release last year. So we'll definitely yes. include some information about how to connect to that. And uh, at some point, I'm, this is the first time I'm throwing it at him, so it's news to him as well. My, my secret mission in life is to have Ryan on enough that since he has a degree that includes music composition, he will write uh, I, I will commission from him a, a an original theme song from the podcast that we uh. can uh, that, that we can play there. So, uh, but but no no pressure. I just haven't thrown that up in front of our listening audience out of the blue. You know that, that was uh, that that's not fair of me. But may, maybe I can. But get now there are all these witnesses to hold me accountable. That, to that's it. exactly <laughs> right. If if it works out that way, it works out that way. There's nothing. Yeah. That, candidly, there's nothing that I can do about it. Hey, so, I'm up for the challenge. Let's do it. Yes. So one of the things I wanted to start with, and uh, just so you know, we haven't spent a lot of time, which I think makes for the best podcasting, talking ahead of time about what we're going to talk about here, because I I like sort of the natural gel of what's here. And Ryan and Robert have never met each other before this event. I think that's actually probably a good thing, uh, because uh, they'll, 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 they'll be new to each other and new to the exposure there. But again, the concept is... What would have happened if Star Wars would have flopped? Well, the reality is I'm pretty sure we cannot classify in the real timeline Star Wars as any form of flop. Uh, I, I think it made a couple of bucks. Uh, I think it's had it's had some staying power since, uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, uh, it premiered in 1977. Uh, to put things in perspective here, I was all of nine years old when that happened. Robert, you're a little bit older than I am, so you would have been around what age? Around 11. 11. Ryan was... Uh, Negative eight. Yeah, Ryan was not even not even close to being a twinkle in his dad's eye. He <laughs> yeah. was, he was whatever, I, I don't he was, think my parents were married yet, even. Yeah, because your oldest sister was, was not even born. Yeah, they, 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 yeah. They, they, I think they were just married. It would have been okay. around just that married. time. Yeah, but uh, yeah. 
your, your, your two older siblings certainly hadn't come into the world yet and, uh, and everything was new. So I'm going to start with one of the things I looked for here was to have some multiple generations represented as well because of the impact of Star Wars. So I thought a good place to start, and Robert, we'll start with you. We're going to give uh, seniority the, the turn here, is <laughs> what do you remember about the first time you saw the original, that would be episode four, that's a whole strange thing we can get into, but the original Star Wars. So I remember going with a friend of mine from church and his older brother, brother, we drove to the Galleria because that's where you went and saw the big movies. And this was a big movie. And I had watched Star Trek. I had watched Lost in Space. Anybody that's really weird will know the old series UFO and then Space 1999. So I had watched all of that. So, of course, I'm kind of geeked out anyway because I'm going, this could be really cool. It's about space. It's cool stuff. So I'm thinking, this is going to be awesome. And I just remember sitting there, and the first thought, and it's the classic that everybody thinks about, Princess Leia's ship flies by, and you go, wow, that's really, oh, my gosh, because <laughs> the Star Destroyer comes into view. And you're just like, I I'm shocked. I'm just amazed. And then I remember when the Death Star exploded, sitting there the entire time going, that was the most amazing thing I've ever seen on the movie screen at that point. Yeah. I mean, that, that's my initial experience. And, and I'm, I'm happy. I'm one of those guys who I shared it with my kids. So much so that when we went and saw episode, I got to get my episodes right because I'm kind of like you. I, I always think of episode four as really the first one. But when we went and saw episode three, Revenge of the Sith, I got mad with my kids because they had opened so many theaters up, we didn't stand in line. We walked in and sat down at the theater and waited for an hour. And my kids are like, why are you yelling? This is awesome. I'm like, you don't understand. I remember graduating in high school and going the next day and standing in line for two and a half hours to see Return of the Jedi. Staying in line is part of the experience, son. Yeah. It's like right. so many things, that building up of the suspense, that anticipation. Exactly. And when you see the final product, it's that much better. Yeah. I, 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 would, I would echo sort of Robert's experience. I, I, I actually, the first time I saw it again, it was, uh, it was a visual experience that's hard to explain, especially with what we have now, for, you know, with computer-generated graphics and, and special effects and everything that's there, you know. In some ways, the original episode, even before they enhanced it, still holds up okay. It doesn't hold up great, obviously, after all this passage of time, but a testimony to how good it was at the time sort of indicates how well that it held up. But I think Robert hit upon one of the key things for me, which was it was an audible experience, too. I don't think I had ever actually heard anything quite like that. And if you're a child like I am in the late 70s and the early 80s, you'll remember some of the movies came in sense around, which is when they put these extra speakers in the theater and it really was just imagine that, uh, like you sometimes uh, see when you go down the road today, somebody just cranked the bass way up. But I remember actually seeing Star Wars again in the movie. That's also something you don't see quite as much today, going back and seeing a movie over and over again at the theater. Because, you know, eventually you'll be able to own it on the digital medium of your choice and have it in whatever form there. So you don't need to do that. But I remember going back and seeing Star Wars a second time, I think, in Sense Around. So I had that full-blown you know, the explosion of the Death Star experience now, you know, rattling the theater seat. And so I would echo Robert's uh, impression of seeing the movie for the first time uh, sort of the same way. And uh, I'm actually going to steal a little bit of Ryan's thunder here because I actually remember seeing 
the first movie in the second trilogy, so that makes it episode one for those of you that are mathematically challenged, since it went four, five, six, one, two, three, and now it's going seven, eight, nine. But I remember what, what actually. What rational person would not count and order things that way? Yeah, it, it, I, don't, I don't know what you're getting at. I, I don't either. George Lucas understands mathematics at a level that, that we don't, <laughs> apparently. So, uh, which yeah. is interesting enough because it was also Roman numerals. But don't get me into explaining oh. why there, there's Roman numerals for this thing in a galaxy far, far away a long, long time ago. But you I do remember more midi chlorians than you have. So, okay. you're not, you're not <laughs> oh, that's at his a whole level. other conversation. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> So we're officially going to deep. We're going to dive completely off the geek end. We've now established that, and that's okay. But what I actually remember about uh, to 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 counter or talk about Robert's point was that idea of waiting in line. Was that I actually remember I went to see episode one with Ryan and his family, the invitation of his father, and they that was in the early days of when you bought your tickets, advanced sales, and tickets ahead of time. And so we went to see one of the midnight screenings purchased in advance. And yeah, we had to wait a little bit to get into the theater, but not like the experience that Robert's talking about, about waiting in line for a long time and, you know, yeah. all of that. So the experience was very different. Okay. Ryan, what was your first experience with the movie that actually premiered seven years before, or eight years before you were actually born? So my first Star Wars memory, um, I was a young boy, probably five or six. So this would have been early 90s. And uh, I guess it was the Empire Strikes Back. And that must have been showing on TV because I remember being at home. And I just remember being terrified by the AT-AT walkers on the ice planet Hoth in the beginning and asking my parents if I could go to bed because they were <laughs> they were scary to me. So that was the first exposure to it that I remember. But um, previous to the uh, uh, trilogy or the prequel trilogy, episodes one, two and three, uh, there was the re-release, the, um, what do they call it? It wasn't the expanded edition or the update, think, special I, edition. I think special edition, enhanced edition, yeah. Yeah, that was released on VHS. So um, I was probably 11 or 12 when that came out, a pretty good age for a boy to get into Star Wars. So I remember getting those, I think it was for Christmas one year, and um, and watching all of them. And I know a lot of people have problems with those because of all the changes that he made, and, and then there were other changes that he made later on that I feel like were even worse, but without really having that frame of reference of having seen the originals, um, I didn't really think much of it. I also had the movie taste of, you know, 12 year old boy. So um, I, I don't think I was too discerning when it came to that, but uh, you know, I love the original trilogy. And then I must've been, um, I guess, 13 when we, uh, when we went to see that midnight showing and that was the first midnight showing I'd ever been to. And that was the first time I, just being in that environment. I mean, it's the excitement of a midnight showing, combined with you know the radical fandom of, of star wars nuts and um it was just an electric energy and just when that lucasfilm logo came on the screen just that the chills you get from that because i think like so many people there was the original trilogy and then they thought that was going to be it and there was so much hype and so much excitement around the new trilogy the prequel trilogy coming out and um you know objectively speaking I think most people would agree episode one was not a great movie. And you could probably say that about the rest of the prequels too, but man, was it fun. And uh, it, it was just so exciting and, and there had been nothing like that before. And uh, I sure had a lot of fun with that. And I went and saw all the prequels in the, in the movie theaters and I've done the same for the uh, most recent trilogy. And you talk about going to see movies more than once in the theaters. I don't do that often, but I have done that for, um, episode seven and eight so okay okay i, I think they, they're worth that experience 
Yeah, and again, I think that is something that's changed just in the culture, and again, because of technology and media, that's something that's altered since, you know. Well, e- even I, what I do remember, again, showing my age a little bit, and, and Robert mentioned there that he went to the Galleria, for those of you that are not native to the Houston area, from where you and I grew up, that was going all the way across town. That was, oh, getting, yeah. in a, that was getting in a car and going 20 miles to be able to, to see it at a theater that, you know, was was worthy of, of something like that being seen at. To your point, that was the place you went to see the real films. We had we had some smaller movie theaters near us, but that was not that was not Star Wars worthy, obviously. And um and so, you know, that that whole thing that's changed there, but um I lost my train of thought a little bit here. But th- that idea of um, you know, just the the excitement around that I, I don't know where I was going it was the idea of something that was held over. I remember seeing the ads in the paper. Let me explain to some folks who really don't understand what I'm about to say, because this is also important. There was this period of time when this... Wait, do, do the kids need to get off your lawn and turn down the rap music? No, that... no, not <laughs> quite there. But, 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 but there was this concept called a newspaper, which was this, okay. uh, which was this rolled thing uh, printed that was delivered <laughs> each day to your home. And inside of that, one of the things you would find in there, among other things, were TV listings, by the way, because you're if you were fortunate enough to have cable, you didn't have the automated on-screen guide stuff you have today. So you had your TV listings in there, but you also had a whole section that had the movie listings and the showtime. So your yeah. two ways to know where a movie was was to look in the paper for the for the listings, or if you knew your local theater's number, you could call up there probably and hear a recorded message, and it would tell you what the showtimes were that given day. And one of the things that would happen is that movies would come. There weren't as many screens as there as there are today, um, and movies would. So they were supposed to stay for a period of time, maybe the two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, whatever the engagement had been planned for. But then, if something was popular, it would be held over, and which meant that they had paid to keep the movie at that theater because it was making money for them. And I, I later learned that one of the things that that meant was there was another film that was destined to be in one of those theater slots that didn't make it because something was being held over. That was a big thing to hold a movie over. And I remember over and over what you would see on the ads in the paper were this little uh, horiz- uh, not horizontal uh, diagonal diagonal banner yeah. in the corner of the ad that would say, you know, held over 39th week, held over 41st week. And I remember that the first time I ever, and again, I'm nine, 10 years old, really experiencing this for the first time, the realization that, oh, this means something. And Star Wars is still there. You could still go see it multiple times in the theater and it was still making more money. And so that idea you were talking about just the excitement. And even today that's, I can see that even as we're talking that greenish color of the Lucasfilm uh, of the Lucasfilm logo, and you know, you hear the little the drum, the drum intro, the 20th century, the you know, mm. that 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 actually d- still has a reaction. It has a reaction not because of it's, other. It's a purely Pavlovian response. That's exactly what it is. If I were <laughs> if I if I were a dog and there was food, I'd be salivating. Yeah. And uh, it, it's the exact same thing for Star Wars in the sense of you know that that triggers what's about to happen, and then the 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 the. The very familiar John Williams theme, and then of course the scrolling—you know, the scrolling credits. You know, again, yeah. I'm still confused why there's Roman numerals that lead those things, but I'll leave that alone for now. But you know, just 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 the experience that goes on there. So obviously, the way we're talking about it, it was an impactful thing for us as individuals. So, what are some of the ways that you think Star Wars probably impacted society the most, Robert? Do you have some thoughts on what the real impact was? 
Yeah, so, some of the things I thought about is, first of all, special effects. Because what one of the little-known Star Wars stories is, is George Lucas literally went and invented industrial light and magic to mm-hmm. create his own special effects because nobody could do it. And if you go see any movie today, I rewatched Avengers Infinity War last night, and ILM did their special effects. And one of the other interesting things that most people don't know, everybody knows George sold out to the great evil empire of Disney several years ago. He did not sell to ILM, the ILM piece of it. He kept that, and they're still doing so. One of the things you'll think think about, you, you commented earlier about Star Wars holding up fairly well compared to even all the CGI stuff we have now. That particular medium was invented solely for Star Wars. I right. literally do not think we would have had it and had that in our movie theater and CGI at the point. You had to have somebody envision that it could be done before it could be. So that's, you know, one thing I do a lot of augmented and virtual reality stuff with training. And that's one thing I don't think we would even have an inkling of had that particular technology not come forward as part of Star Wars. So are you saying there, there, there could have possibly been no Transformer movies? That that is a possibility. <laughs> it took a dark turn real quick. Yeah, well, you know, I don't know if I want to imagine that reality. Well, you know, the, as, as you hear us talk about all the time here on the Fork in Time, you drop you drop the uh, you drop the rock in the pond, and the ripples come. Man, that's what I'm telling yes. you. The ripples come. You yeah. sort of you sort of can't get around them. Go, go, go even further with it. George Lucas is one of the only movie producers that held on to his merchandising rights. That was the smartest thing he ever did. <laughs> oh, most definitely. Yeah. By and, far. And, and, and that's actually an interesting thing because the idea, this, this, this now fits into uh, to my, although it was later for the later films as well, uh, the Star Wars action figures. I, I can remember in, I guess I was in second grade. And, you know, one of my classmates had one of the first ones of those. And there's there's some actually some great documentaries online. Uh, I may try to find them and put the links in the show notes because they're interesting to see about the whole thing there of how it ended, how, how that ended up being who owned the rights to that and how they did that. But I remember the cool thing was Luke's lightsaber had this little slide thing that would let it sort of slide out of the action figure. And these were small and, the, and these were smaller action figures. These were not your G.I. Joe size, you know, 11 and a half inch action figures. These were what Whatever the scale was, the the three to four inch per character thing there. But you're right; he was very smart in terms of not letting go uh, the merchandising rights. He he, to Robert's point, he actually, when the technology didn't exist and he wanted to make the movie the way they wanted to make the movie, he built the the capability of doing the technology, which then actually became. He made a lot of money off Star Wars. He made a lot more money after what ILM did and what the mer- merchandising rights did in terms of why George Lucas you know, has the Skywalker Ranch in California. It's not because of the proceeds directly off the movies. It was all of the other things that went around that were revenue-producing for the movies. And to your point, he didn't sell out the thing that's still the thing that makes a lot of money, which was ILM, when he sold the rights to another studio, in this case, Disney. So I, th- I think that's an excellent point. Uh, Ryan, what what's the first thing that pops into your mind in terms of the impact that we, we sort of can't get away from that is Star Wars? Sure. Well, related to Robert's point and talking about ILM, there's a pretty famous computer animation um, company that started in ILM, and it's called Pixar. Mm-hmm. And 
they've gone on to do some pretty big things. Right. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't just George Lucas's direct influence. You know, they ended up actually getting a lot of funding from Steve Jobs in the 80s. And there were some other factors that played into Pixar being um, so successful and being coming what it became today. But that was definitely a big place. That was kind of the springboard for a lot of those guys. And, and like you're saying, Robert, it's where the need for this special effects um, kind of brought all these people together that had the same goal and the same interests and same talents and uh, led to some pretty far reaching things outside of star Wars. And, um, on kind of a related note, I guess too, up until this year, uh, toy story, which is, I guess, Pixar's first big claim to fame was a trilogy, much like star Wars was a trilogy. And, yep. and we talked a little bit about this earlier, just the impact on, uh, the film industry in, in strictly that sense. I mean, there are tons of impacts within the film industry you could talk about, but even just talking about the idea of trilogies, um, there were some before and some kind of sequels like the, the Godfather trilogy started. I think the first two were before Star Wars and um, you can kind of group some of the John Wayne movies together, the fistful of dollars and all that kind of stuff. But if you look at all of the huge blockbuster trilogies um, in, in Hollywood, all of them came after Star Wars um, and some of them kind of immediately after you, and some of them were sci-fi like the Alien trilogy and uh, Terminator trilogy, um, Lord of the Rings came a little bit later on. Um, and then all the spate of superhero trilogies we've had, we've had the X-Men, we've had Spider-Man, the list goes on and on. And, uh, you know, of course, some of these like Lord of the Rings existed before Star Wars. And so that idea is itself necessarily a new thing. But the idea that this is a viable Hollywood franchise, this is something that's going to make a lot of money for these studios. That started with Star Wars and Star Wars is responsible for um, that trend beginning and showing these movie studios. And it was with Fox at the time that, hey, yeah, this is going to be immensely successful for you. And there is so much potential in this. And um, it's a great way to build an overarching story. And, you know, in the sequels, you have these characters that you already know and that are coming back. and You don't have to waste all that time on exposition and development you can pack a lot more story into it right and 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 so you one of the arguments that can be made is filmmaking as we know it today there's a marvel universe there's a star wars universe Universe. there's a there's there's a matrix universe there's you know this concept of not just franchises but even an entire um existence you know in fact it's interesting to me that you know what is referred to inside of the star wars universe when you're talking about the official story because i remember there were novelizations and there were other things as well you will actually hear the term used with star wars that is or is not in the canon yes yeah and when when you recognize if you're astute and i think most of our listeners of this podcast are pretty astute the other thing that we use to describe whether something is or isn't in the canon is pretty significant to a lot of folks. It has tremendous theological impact. It's, is that quote unquote <laughs> biblical? Is that, is that canonical? I mean, yeah. it, that's either yeah. in the canon or not in the canon. That's we we've now applied to star Wars or I guess star Trek to some degree and other, other things as well. And there probably are examples outside of science fiction, but of course none of them pop to mind right now uh, because we're talking about a science fiction thing. But when we actually use the term, you know, that, well, that's, that's part of the canon that's official versus the unofficial lore. That's a pretty incredible thing to think about in terms of impact that a movie actually rises to that level of description. Yeah. Well, it, it, it's interesting because a lot of what, a lot of us assumed was canon when George sold to Disney became legends. 
and became outside of the canon. And it actually changed everything that was set up prior to that to where now they're actually working on trying to decide what fills in, what doesn't with the Star Wars stories. Right. You know, one, one of the other impacts I always, when I was thinking through this as we were talking about the different impacts, one of the other impacts, so everyone's also familiar with the other star in Star Wars, the other star is Star Trek. Yeah. And Star Trek probably would have stayed relegated to this little bitty independent syndicated TV show that only the geeks watched if Star Wars hadn't have happened. That, that was one thing I had immediately thought of because Star Trek The Motion Picture basically only got green-lighted because Star Wars was so successful and Paramount wanted to cash in. Right. Uh, absolutely. In fact, I think Star Wars The Motion Picture is 78. Star Wars is in 77. I think Star Trek The Motion Picture is 78. And you, as you pointed out, there had been discussions about it, but uh, the decision immediately by the studio, well, we've been thinking about this, we've been toying with this, yes, we're doing this, immediately is after the success of Star Wars. Uh, the on the net, on network TV, the first thing that pops into my head is Battlestar Galactica, which mm. gets which gets greenlighted by ABC very soon after. You know, this space thing is hot. Everybody's jumping on this. You know, this space thing, and so here's this. You know, wanting to build this. Uh, uh, ironically, uh, Battlestar Galactica has been called Wagon Train in the Stars. You know, it sort of uses the model of the old Wagon Train show. It just doesn't the science fiction genre. But all of that in the late 70s and even moving up into the early 80s, uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th century on NBC and uh, some of the other things that were there were all the direct re result of Star Wars success. Everybody wanted to pile on. Uh, disco was hot and space was hot. I don't know if there's any relation between those two things, but those were the two things that were going on in the late 70s and the very early 80s was, uh, well, some of the clothing is actually very similar when you think about it in both of the genres, but, uh, you know, space, space was the hot thing. You sort of felt like you couldn't lose if you did something that was space. Let me ask you this, too, because speaking of Star series, one of my favorite series also was Star Trek Next Generation which I've seen some of the original Star Trek, and I'm just going to say Next Gen is better. <laughs> you, you, are, you are free to disagree and be as wrong as you want. But, um, you know, I was, I was young still when that came on TV. I remember watching that again as a boy with my dad and my sister. Um, when it originally aired on TV in the late 80s, early 90s. But do y'all feel like that was a direct result of Star Wars' success and, and all the, the space fascination that followed after that? I think so, because I don't think you would have had the next generation would not have happened had the Star Trek movies not been successful. And so mm. I, I think Star Trek would have been relegated to, you know, I'm going to throw some series out. So Don mentioned Battlestar Galactica. I'm betting yeah. when everyone heard Battlestar Galactica, they thought Battlestar Galactica on sci-fi in the 2010, if I remember correctly, with the. Katie Sackhoff is has is that and James almost yeah the, yeah the 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 reboot the rebooted okay. grittier yeah but yeah. they didn't even think about Battlestar Galactica which ironically was was coining wagon train to the stars and had the star of Bonanza Lauren Green as Commander <laughs> Adama right <laughs> wow. so, something totally different when you said it you know obviously wouldn't have been rebooted I think Star Trek falls into that I think. Star Trek would have been this little-known... I was kind of joking earlier about I watched Space 1999 and another TV series called UFO that were basically space-based stuff that 
Don, you may have heard of Space 199. I, 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 I know it. I know it well. The moon breaks out of orbit. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's yeah, um, yeah. And, it's and happening very, very slowly, but it is happening. <laughs> <laughs> what is it like an inch or two per year? It gets farther. Oh, no, 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 no. There, there's a catastrophic nuclear explosion on the moon, Ryan. Yeah. It's, oh, uh, wow. Yeah. Were, were the Russians involved? Uh, Russians were part of it. We had a, we had a full space station with them. Yeah, it would have been relegated to those particular, you know, odd TV shows that anybody watched or, you know, the Incredible Hulk TV show or Spider, the Amazing Spider-Man that was on TV in the late 70s. No one ever talks about, no one ever remembers because why? Well, now we've got the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I yeah. think had Star Wars not happened, I think none of what we consider, Jaws was the first summer blockbuster. The yeah. Summer, two summers before Star Wars. Yeah, 75. But it was nowhere near the success Star Wars was right. yeah. in, in the cultural impact. Jaws kind of had an impact because people like me had saw it at a very young age. Still will not swim in the water, in the ocean. <laughs> and, and Don knows that's not because I can't swim. I was on a swim team in high school. So right. I know how to swim. I just had this weird fear of sharks for some reason. But it didn't have the cultural impact that Star Wars had. I think Star Wars, you know, I, we, we can go down another path, I think, be interesting. How much would you go into, you guys think, what impact did Star Wars have on, trying to, I'm trying to get to the right words here, Unitarianism. Uh, there, there, there was there was a philosophical, a, spiritual, a, 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 a spiritual philosophical bend right. to uh, to Star Wars that is often pointed to there. You know whether you, it's tough to know because different people that you talk to that have different backgrounds or different thinking on that will point to it in different things. But it had an Eastern philosophy. You know, sort of a yin and a yang. Uh, well, all the robes they wore too, and yeah. that was. Well, well, yeah. he, what actually did become the case, I remember this, you know, I was, of course, I was very young and I, you know, I'll just say it here just to put the context for our listeners. I grew up in a very, fairly conservative Southern United States uh, religious background. That was my home environment. I think that's actually probably true of everybody on, on the, on this particular episode could, could speak yep. to that. And so, you know, this idea of sort of an Eastern philosophy, this idea of a force, the idea of something that's sort of yin and yang, it can be either be good or bad, depending upon how it's used. Uh, I, I can remember some radical folks <laughs> of that time, you know, saying this was somebody trying to backdoor Eastern philosophy into our culture yeah. kind of thing, <laughs> you know, kind of approach. But I do so actually remember when, that, the, that there are some people who actually today claim that they are essentially that their religion is Jedi. I mean, the yeah, idea there, was that there's the, 21,000 as of the last census. We, we yeah. actually, we were talking about it in Sunday school. I think we're talking about comparative religions and we, somebody actually looked this statistic up and it's like 21,000 people in the U S identify Jedi as their religion. So. Wow. Yeah. I, I've seen a, a similar and, thing in the by, UK. By the way, Ryan, that was before midi chlorians were introduced. <laughs> what a time to be alive. Yeah. <laughs> Blissful ignorance. Um, I, I see a similar thing. I think in the UK, the number is actually even higher. They totally have a different religious demographic than we have here. But uh, I think y'all are right. It really sounds similar to me of, of what happened um, more with, with my age group when all these Harry Potter books and movies came out. And the same fears uh, that, you know, they're trying to teach witchcraft to our kids. And this is just, you know, a, a, a gateway into Satanism and, and, and Wicca and all that kind of stuff. And 
Um, just kind of a lot of fear mongering, which to me, it all seemed kind of silly because I think largely the, the principles of, of the Harry Potter world are very similar to those of, of Star Wars about friendship and sacrifice and working hard for things that matter to you and, and, and you know, all those kinds of things. So uh, all that just kind of seemed like hogwash to me, but definitely interesting. Yeah, but but I do think it did have an impact. That we certainly had an impact. We talked about their own media making science fiction of various forms, particularly space science fiction, yeah. a, a viable genre. Uh, everybody was you know trying to find their space thing. We gave some of the examples of that. I think it it is interesting now that we, this could really create controversy because you have those that are of the the Star Trek mindset and the Star Wars mindset, and Trekkers and and Star Wars fans don't always get along. And there's some people that find it uh, actually to be the most horrible thing that could happen now that jj abrams is actually in control of both of the universes you know there's something fundamentally wrong with that but i I think it is true i think robert makes an excellent point that you know the influence the impact of star wars which is important to talk about because then that also leads obviously what happens if it's a flop if there's not that there is that you you know star trek is relegated to uh uhf reruns uh by a, a select audience and eventually that just goes away because eventually technology did come along that would have made, you know, I mean, I, I still saw Star Trek reruns as a kid, you know, on, on the UHF channels here and in, in, in growing up. Ten years later, if there's no Star Wars, they probably don't make airtime because other things would have taken those slots because there just would not have been an audience for them. And, you know, you mentioned Space 1999, which was an import from uh, uh, from um, from uh, the U.K., uh, it, it had been a, a UK production, I, I think, before it came here. It sort of got played back again, again on uh, on syndication because of of, of yeah. Star Wars, and something was available. People were looking for whatever they could find. Um, and you want to talk about plot holes and premise holes? Space nineteen ninety nine could be a whole other episode uh, that we could go down in terms of the amazing thing is the moon breaks away and apparently it moves at enough speed that in very short periods of time it's you know outside of our solar system and they're traveling to distant places. That's the amazing thing to me. But uh, but certainly that comes back. So there certainly was the impact on you know science fiction, popular culture, movie culture. Uh, we talked a little bit about the religion philosophy thing. But then just you know one of the things that occurred to me first 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 for Star Wars in particular was um, 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 was the idea of language. You know, you know, mm-hmm. if, if I say today, may the force be with you, I don't have to stop and explain to somebody what that is an allusion to. And that yeah. doesn't matter whether that person is uh, at this point, probably where there's, whether they're six or 86, they get the illusion. That's just yeah. now in our culture. If I say, you know, I'm your father, okay, that echoes the, you know, the Vader telling. There's all of these things, you know, if you pull off something at work or, or some other place, somebody says, did you pull a Jedi mind trick? I mean, these are all just things that have slipped into our culture that are that are common references, and I probably only named three out of a hundred that I could name here uh, that, that popped into culture, you know, in that sense. Do you guys have any thoughts on, well, on the impact there? Well, you I have said a bad language about that. Yeah, I have a bad feeling about this. <laughs> you yeah, said language. So it, it's interesting. It's the phrasing, but it's also just the impact of the way we talk, the way we act, and the fact that science fiction is cool. You did, and we've all alluded to this. Ryan, you talked about your dad taking you, and Don, you shared with you going with them to see episode. 
four, one. right? One, no, episode sorry, one. Episode one. See, I can't do the math either. <laughs> um, but, you know, my kids, I have a 27-year-old and a 23-year-old. Both of my children, we already have plans for December to go see episode nine as a family. Friday night, opening, not the Thursday night, midnight stuff. We don't do that. But we will go Friday night. We will eat at Red Robin and we will go to the Marquis Cinema, Edward Cinema to go see it. That, I think, is a unique experience for movie going that you wouldn't see. I could almost argue you would never see anything like that. Fam- families didn't go to the movies together, really, until Star Wars. And so you could, you know, how much difference did it take on the entertainment industry right. from that beyond just a science fiction is cool? You know, yeah. it, it changed the way things work with that. I agree. I agree. And, and Ryan, you were even talking about, you and I were talking briefly about, you know, uh, 20th Century Fox was not in a good place uh, when it when it decided to green light this project. Yeah, they they were really struggling at the time. I, I think they would had a couple of flops before then, um, but they uh, they really benefited from Star Wars success and it turned them into a, a titan of that industry. Um, I have in one of my notes that their stock soared from, I think, $5 per share to like $26 or $27 per share. Um, I mean, just making like, I want to say it was like over a million dollars every day when Star Wars came out. It was something absurd. Um, and, you know, that that really boosted up that uh, aspect of, of the Fox industry. And then, of course, from there. You can follow that out and look at all the other things that Fox has had a hand in since then, uh, especially since I think it was in the 80s, Rupert Murdoch um, had the acquisition of Fox. And um, you look at, you know, the the TV channel, just Fox, you know, I grew up watching The Simpsons on Fox and that may not have happened then because that was a new channel at the time willing to kind of take a chance on a show like that that was not really proven. You know, a primetime cartoon that was kind of aimed at adults. It was kind of a weird thing. You know, it wasn't like the Flintstones decades before. Uh, but then going even farther, you know, you look at um, things like Fox News and would that be around today? And, um, you know, or even that whole idea of, of just these talking head pundits on TV just trying to brainwash people, which happens on both sides. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a fan of MSNBC or CNN either. I think a lot of these channels are toxic and don't really offer a lot toward public discourse. But, um, you know, just thinking about the effect of Fox and Fox being so immensely impacted by Star Wars success um, could have had uh, a huge impact on the way our culture is today. Uh, I agree with that. Robert, any thoughts on that? Yeah, that that's interesting because that's something that I hadn't thought about was the financial impact, the downstream financial impact. Right. And, 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 and even, the, even the existence for me being, you know, someone who was born in the late 60s, grew up in the 70s and the 80s, there were three networks until there, yes. were, four, until there were four. And Fox yeah. was that fourth network. And part of the reason they were able to be in that position was because they were financially sound. The point being that 10 years before, 15 years before, they weren't in that financial position because they were a fledgling studio in an industry that was still trying to figure out – uh, the new media, you know, what was going on. 70s was a weird time. If you didn't live through it, it's hard to fully describe it. But uh, it, it, it was it was a, it was a decade of transition. And 
and yeah. popular culture and entertainment was also in transition during that period of time. And so when, when Star Wars fell ripe into that fertile soil of what was going on that was a transition, that's when suddenly you had you know explosion of science fiction and other things that were going with that. And even the idea of crossover, I mean, uh, it is it is not one of uh, one of the things we would have been spared if Star Wars had been a flop was the Star Wars Christmas special. Um, if you've ever, if you've ever seen the Star Wars Christmas special, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, you owe it, I don't know if you owe it to yourself, but you owe it to at least say that you've seen it so that you can actually comment directly on how bad it is. I will but, say that, that Luke is the prettiest he's ever been. Well, uh, that may be the case. That, one. that yeah, was a serious makeup job. Yeah. In there. And um, I think we all learned a lot about the Wookiee language, you know, being subjected to (laughs) about 20 minutes of it to open the movie with no subtitles whatsoever. You know, I I think it's a good, uh, uh, you know, language immersion kind of a way to get involved. If you ever wanted to learn to speak Wookiee, it's a good way to just just fall into the language. But the reason I bring that up was the very idea of having something that was a crossover between movies and television in the way that that was in that time was unique or different. It was that was not something that was there. You know, now we think of the way that all media crosses over so much constantly now, almost to the point of, you know, between the Internet, between movies, between TV, between all the ways that that media interacts with itself and with each other. Now, that's the norm. Uh, yeah. That was not the norm. You know, yes, books may eventually get made into movies. So, yeah, there's an overlap there. And sometimes that happened faster instead of slower. But this idea of a television special because there had been this successful movie and how all that played together. Uh, Star Wars sort of early on was not the only film that did this, but crossover into fast food. And, you know, the other things that went with that, that, that whole thing that is we just take as sort of second nature now product placement and and the connection between all those things that owes a lot to maybe not exclusively to star wars but it owes a lot to star wars and its success so the way that modern media modern marketing works is a direct result of uh the mind of george lucas in 1999 i I bought so many cans of pepsi i I can't even (laughs) tell (laughs) because they had the promotion with all the different star wars characters on it and that was so exciting. But I mean, going back to kind of talking about my initial exposure to Star Wars, it wasn't just the movies, but back on Super Nintendo, there was, um, you know, Super uh, Empire Strikes Back. I remember seeing that video game playing it. And on the Nintendo 64, there was um, one I think is canon. It takes place between episodes four and five. It was uh, Shadows of the Empire. And then I played a couple. Of, I'm not a big video game person, but I played a few. And uh, Knights of the Old Republic was a PC game that I played, too. Um, so just different ways that I've had exposure to it, too. And people who maybe haven't even seen the movies but are into video games um, have, have maybe you know ex- been exposed to it that way. Right. right. I hadn't thought of that. Well, and then the other thing is, so the action figure industry, Don kind of alluded to not the Star Wars characters being three to four inches versus the 11-inch G.I. Joes, which everybody remembers that was the, the thing. Action figures were all big 11-inch. And they had pretty much died out. I how much different would the toy industry be? I, I think that's an excellent point, Robert. And, and and you know now we sort of think of that sometimes as being the collectibles industry because that's what it's turned yeah. into now. But at the time, you know, I'll say this: I remember in second grade, the person that brought that that Luke figurine after I think they had waited for it for two months or something like that in the mm-hmm. mail or whatever because the demand was such there. 
they didn't bring it still in shrink-wrapped, planning to keep it in a pristine condition to sell later. They did this nasty thing in class called playing with the little, you know, with the uh, with the action figure. You know, the teacher wasn't excited about that. We were all gathering around because they. I think I think that person had the the Luke figure and may have had the Chewbacca figure. That was the only two they had. So we were trying to figure out how. You know, what, what would be the scene where Luke and Chewbacca were were doing something? And by the way, you had to extend the lightsaber too. But uh, but I, I think I think Robert's right in the sense the impact on the toy industry was was phenomenal like legos you know later the star wars based legos become part of what's there not that legos needed star wars to be popular and again to and to continue through culture but it probably took legos to a whole new level that they hadn't existed at before yeah i actually did research the lego stuff a little bit because that is another early memory i have it was 1999 when the phantom menace came out and the first ever lego set um, that was Star Wars was an X-Wing. And I was so excited about it because I was already a Star Wars fan at that point and I had been kind of on my own, again, studying civil engineering now, been making my own X-Wings out of just the existing Legos I had before the models had been released. But um, Star Wars is notable within Lego because that was the first ever um, other company or license that Lego licensed that they paid to have what? the rights to. And since, of course, they've done tons of stuff. They've done Harry Potter and they've done a lot of the Marvel stuff. And I'm sure there are a lot of other ones. Um, but that was a really big deal. And in my opinion, at least, I'm sure you could probably look up some more stats on this. But I think it was in 2015, Lego overtook Mattel to become the most profitable, successful toy company in the world. And they're valued at $2 billion, $2.1 billion, something like that. Um, so that, yeah, had a huge impact on, on Lego. And... I love to see the longevity of Lego because I grew up playing with them all the time. Um, you know, I have two older sisters, so not really a brother to play with. And I did outdoorsy stuff. But it was a great, you know, for a boy on his own, like a great toy to have. And um, I've got three nephews now. And I, I know at least the two older ones are really into Legos. I was one of my favorite Christmases ever the first time I bought my oldest nephew Legos. And it was just this generational thing of passing the torch and and uh, I think it was Star Wars Legos like I got for him too. So they're all really into that stuff, and it's um, it's cool to see. And it's you know, it's one of those things we we see on this grand scale how Star Wars had this impact. But you know, on the smaller level within my family, that's a connection that we have between me and my nephews, and something we bond over. Um, and so that's been been you know pretty important for us. Right, Robert. Can you think of any other major impacts that maybe we haven't mentioned here? Um, you know. I other than the ones we've hit on, I don't think so. I think those are the biggest impacts that that you'd see as you look at it is, you know, just the entertainment industry. I just think that the biggest impact really would be other than the normal cultural stuff, the phrases that you mentioned that we wouldn't hear about. But I think the movie industry itself would just be radically different today. We would have a lot more of, oh, geez, I can't even think of the any movie that's not sci-fi fantasy that's out right now because just yeah. about summer so just about everything that's out right now is sci-fi fantasy right in some way maybe the lion that. king would be the closest yeah and, and by the way the lion king of course owes some of its success to the voice of darth vader 
in yeah. both the in both the animated as well as well as the live action that that's James Earl Jones who's supplying the the voice of Mufasa so you know even the Lion King can't escape the long 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 shadow of of Star Wars before it's all said and done um, one of the things I was thinking about, even talking about in terms of movies that we're so familiar with today, including franchises that we're so familiar with today, again, another trilogy type setup, uh, the Indiana Jones trilogy. Those those were big movies for me that also was in that wheelhouse there. We probably would not have the original Raiders of the Lost Ark if it's not for Star Wars. And the reason for that is Spielberg had had success directing Jaws, Close Encounters. Steven Spielberg had a career going before he directed Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, the person who had a big career going at that point was Lucas, who was the producer, one of the producers behind uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and very much liked this idea of capitalizing on what he had uh, liked and loved as a boy, the, ser- the serials, the Saturday morning serials, the serialization type storytelling, which is what uh, Raiders was built around. But if there's no Star Wars, no success for George Lucas, there probably is no Raiders of the Lost Ark. So if there's no Raiders of the Lost Ark, there's no subsequent Indiana Jones movies for better and for worse um and you know then then you start thinking about where that immediately leads me near and we can sort of maybe sort of draw down to a close on this is thinking about the actors and actresses who had careers as a result of star wars that may or may not have had careers harrison ford is the first one that pops to mind he had been in american graffiti i think is one of the things i know that he was in before i don't think anybody looked and said oh i'm going to see that movie because it's a harris harrison ford's in that movie nobody knew him at that level uh, but certainly, you know, Star Wars comes, he's Han Solo, then he's Indiana Jones and in, in, in Raiders and the subsequent Indiana Jones things. Now, he goes on to play some serious roles as well. So he's 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 an actor that, you know, got outside of the um, the, the Star Wars bubble, if you will. Yeah. Uh, but so maybe maybe Harrison Ford has a career if there's no Star Wars. It's a different career. But, you know, does Mark Hamill? <laughs> there would not, to... there would not have been the best Joker ever if not, <laughs> not done Star Wars. Yeah, yeah. There yeah. you go. Um, and and, and, yeah. To tie uh, Han Solo back into Star Wars too. Spoiler alert: If nobody has seen Episode Seven, but he dies in that movie, and he, he's killed by by Kylo Ren. And I think that moment would have some of the gravity it does if we just knew him from the original trilogy and that was it. But the fact that he was such a cultural presence starting with Star Wars and all that time, he's somebody you feel like you kind of know, you know, you've seen him in so many different movies and, you know, he's a household name. Everybody recognizes him. And I think in that movie, the fact that Star Wars originally was so successful and that he became this big movie star because of that. Then when they bring him back in episode seven and he gets killed, it's, you feel like you're getting stabbed right there along with him. It's really a, a, a lightsaber to the gut, so to speak. Right. Well, and, e- and even along those lines of, you know, for the, one of the comments we were having actually before we began taping, Ron and I were talking about a little bit, uh, I think almost, it's not true of every single one of them, but almost every actor from the original trilogy appeared at some point on the Big Bang Theory, which is one of the most popular comedic yep. series of the la- of the last 10 years, and obviously centers around geek-slash-nerd-slash-science-fiction culture in a way that there are parts of that I know because a good friend of mine owned, or owned a comic book store, and I understand comic book culture better than I ever did, even though I was never in- engaged in that as a kid because I was around his store and his environment, but 
I think for a lot of people who wouldn't identify with the characters, for example, on Big Bang Theory, they do identify because they'll reference Star Wars. Okay, Star Wars I get. So if they make a reference to Vader or make a reference to Luke or Leia, you know, even even the joke, you know, and the argument has been made for sometimes for that comedic series, it's the same joke over and over again for 11 seasons. That They just, they really played that joke well. But the, yeah. Penny, the Penny character who is not part of that culture until she's exposed to that culture, even she knows the Star Wars references because yeah. that, that's the universal connection point. And so yeah. you, can even, you can even make the argument that, you know, the irony is here we are in 2019 with that, with that uh, comedic uh, series just having completed its run. It owes its existence, its 11 or 12, I guess 11 season existence, to the success of a, of a science fiction film in 1977, making <laughs> it relatable to a lot of different people. That, that's a connection point. Yeah. Uh, that, that's, the perm, that's how Star Wars has permeated society, which is, yeah. you know, and we've talked more about, well, you guys really didn't talk about the counterfactual. We have talked about the counterfactual here because all of these things that we're referencing would not would exist yeah. if they're not there. And so, you know, would something have come along that may have captured the imagination like Star Wars? I think the answer most definitely is yes. What that mm-hmm. is, I have no clue whatsoever what yeah. that looks like or what that is. There may have, you know, who knows, in 1978 may have been, you know, Westerns suddenly have this massive revival and then everything for the next 20 years is some Western-themed thing because of, you know, some movie that had the same impact as Star Wars or... I guess you, you know, I'm trying to now think of the timing. I guess Close Encounters is at, is post Star Wars. Close Encounters is owes itself a little bit to the success of Star Wars. It's a different type of science fiction story, yeah, but it's yeah, a success to that. Star Wars. Yeah. yeah. So, so your point about Big Bang Theory. Maybe, yeah, but I don't think not to the same extent. Uh, I'm like you. I just it, it was so. I think it was so impactful. It's hard to argue the counterfactual with it, right? Yeah, but the impact was so huge. It's hard to imagine. (laughs) Yeah, we can't imagine. It's not because we lack the imagination. It's just that it it permeates in ways, as we've talked about here, that are just it's hard to figure out what would have something would have filled the vacuum and taken that place. That's the way that's the way things work. It's just I have no idea what that would have looked like. But I think it would have been something very different. I don't yeah. think it would. I don't think it probably likely would have been another science fiction film. Maybe it would have been. I don't know. Maybe, you know, well, Logan's Run was actually before it. You know, maybe something would have caught caught the imagination that was there, or you know, some other genre superhero films, for example. Yeah. May, may, yeah. I, I think back of the uh, of the the Christopher Reeve Superman being in that period of time. I don't know if it directly owes its connection to Star Wars. I think it does stand apart separately. So, you know, maybe that would have become the next big thing. So what we think of as being the Marvel success may have happened much earlier because there would have been a reboot of comic book figures in the late 70s and early 80s in a way that was different that, you know, would have filled the Star Wars void. And so, you know, we would have had Avengers Endgame or something like it, and you know, Infinity War or something like that 15 years ago because things would have started earlier. That's pure speculation. I have no idea if that's what would have gone down because, again, the counterfactual is just really hard to get to because there's no there's no frame of reference. Yeah. I was going to say about your, your Big Bang theory, uh, theory point was uh, first that having one joke over and over again is not necessarily the worst thing because – 
having a musical background, what we always said about um, Haydn is that he didn't write 107 symphonies. He wrote one symphony 107 times and that they're all kind of follow the same formulaic thing. But we obviously still regard him as great. Once you have something that has been perfected or, or well-crafted, just do it over and over again. And, you know, if it ain't Baroque, don't fix it. Um, <laughs> but the second point, uh, which won't contain bad puns, um, is to take that idea and, and to expand it out to society at large of, of nerd culture blossoming and having a legitimate place within society. I think that leads to the idea of, of it's a good thing for our culture to have greater diversity in it and for people who value different things to have equal place within our society. And Star Wars helped, along with things like Big Bang Theory, which came later, help these people that sort of were just these, you know, reclusive nerds um, kind of come out into the open with that and have that be something that a lot of people say, oh, you like that too? Oh, so do I. And and, and it's not something to be ashamed of or that you just, you know, partake of in your parents' basement on the weekends. And um, I think, you know, I don't hope this isn't too grandiose, but I do think that's made our society a, a better and a stronger place to be because you don't have to be cool or you don't have to be a jock or something like that to be cool. You can be somebody who's really into Star Wars and be cool or, you know, you get together with your friends and you watch um, Big Bang Theory or something like that. And uh, that's not really a weird thing to do anymore. And um, right. that's maybe an impact of Star Wars we don't always think about, but, you know, I, I think has been a very much a positive thing. Uh, I would agree with that, Ryan, and I, yeah. I think part of what goes with that, and I'll let Robert speak to that as well, part of what goes with that is, even if you think about uh, the, the continuation of the Star Wars, I'm sorry, the Star Trek position, is that, you know, mm -hmm. what I've often heard the Star Trek episodes described is, is they're, they're hour-long little morality plays that are yeah. set in, that is set in a science fiction universe, and so, you know, you have an episode, you know, from the classic series that's about tolerance, well, that, that mm -hmm. has a place where you can you can say some things in a science fiction format that you can't say someplace else and have them be heard or understood. So it's safer because it came from a galaxy uh, long, long ago, far, far away. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, I, I wouldn't tolerate that in a police drama, the exact same thing being told to me, perhaps. Robert, did right. you have a comment on that? Yeah, that, you know, that, that's an interesting part is to be able to sit and think through the, the cultural things we can talk about. You know, from, from a Star Wars perspective, think about how it addressed where it looked at the downtrodden of the slaves. You know, out on Tatooine, when you, you get into the prequels, you start right. talking about that piece. You couldn't talk about that in a normal everyday drama. Right. You know, yeah. But it, you can address those particular things in this one, in these stories or this opera that George, he often calls it a space opera that right. he created. Yeah that you can address diversity within your culture. You can address that everyone has a place and you can yeah. address those different pieces. And it's really intriguing when you think about there, there is no other place we can talk about those places in our society except yeah. science fiction. And it does give us a shared connection. Right. As Ryan yeah. alluded to, because a shared and connection, a place where we can connect. And I like what you said about the slaves, and and it was really interesting how they portrayed them. And you can look at portrayals of other people in there too. Princess Leia is not this damsel in distress that just needs rescuing. 
you know, she takes the blaster and starts shooting back. She is very strong willed. You know, it was definitely, um, you know, you can debate about the whole bikini scene in Jabba's palace and, and why that exists and what that means. But generally speaking, um, and I think there's a lot of Carrie Fisher in Princess Leia, but that was a good role model for, for women. I think at the time that, um, and, and even now that, you know, you don't have to just wait for the guys to come rescue you. You are strong and you can handle yourself. And I mean, you're not just this helpless princess stuck in a tower that needs rescuing. And you could say something similar too for, I think, uh, uh, Lando Calrissian played by Billy D. Williams. You know, this was a black man in a position of power. He was in charge of the Cloud City. And yeah, he, he did end up betraying Han Solo. But, you know, this was not too far removed from the civil rights era uh, when, right, when right, this movie right. came out. Yeah. And uh, I, I'm not sure how much this was unconsciously by George Lucas. But um, I think having that diversity in the cast um, was a meaningful thing, too, and, and sent some good messages out to people. One of the things that just just actually popped into my brain there, that's, of course, Empire Strikes Back, and that's 1980. But tying back to your comment a a while back, Ron, about the idea of the the trilogy and that being an okay way to do things, the second – episode five, the second movie, again, getting your your Star Wars math Dakota ring out to be able to follow this, is – ends on a – on a, on a low note, it, it ends on a very somber tone. The, I mean, the title yeah. of the movie is the empire has struck back and they, and they have struck yeah. back. I mean, you know, things have happened there. Now, you know, just because of the way you expect normal stories to be told and the, you know, this idea of, of the hero's journey and, and mythology and all yeah. of that, which also, which also gets into that, you know, that things are going to be better in the third movie and you know, the third movie is going to be made. But the very fact that you can reach this point where things are not all fine and dandy, and by the way, that's the end of the movie. And I remember because of the time frame that I'm there, that's 1980. Um, the episode episode six, the third movie, comes out in 1983. We had to wait yeah. three years for the happy yeah. ending. Yeah. Um, and and society, you know, during that period of time is also the the revelation of wait a second, you know, the the villain of the film is the father of the of the hero what's all that about can i just say too i i'm so envious of of y'all and people your age because growing up as we talked about with the lexicon you always hear people say luke i am your father and so i already knew that that was the case i didn't get to have that revealed to me in the middle of empire strikes back like all of y'all did so well and and even better you didn't have to avoid the internet for three weeks beforehand to exactly that, that's an excellent point, and and even back to the point that, that that Robert was making in his first experience there, the idea of waiting in line, the idea of it being yeah. an event that you anticipated. I mean, th- there is anticipation now. For example, as we're recording here, it's in uh, transitioning from July to August. This episode will be released in late August of 2019. Robert mentioned we're three to four months ahead of the release of of the of the ninth the ninth film, which is also episode nine. So thankfully, he realigned the yes. uh, real, realigned the numeric count. Calendar for us, uh, but even that anticipation is driven by now a YouTube culture where one of the YouTube channels that I subscribe to every day sends me a video about you know some spoiler or new release that's you know piece of information that's leaked out, and you have to make that conscious decision to sort of go into your no spoilers bubble or whether you're going to consume that <laughs> and and still appreciate it. Um, we didn't have that same thing back when. When the when the when Star Wars originally premiered, 
Star Wars is still now continuing long enough that we do have it. So the other impact of Star Wars, uh, to Robert's point earlier, is the multi-generational aspect of it. I mean, literally, you're talking here about you were mentioning your nephews. Uh, Ryan, I know your father very well. You know, your yeah. dad saw it as a young man. You saw it as a as a younger young man moving in your, your experience to it. He has grandkids now that are old enough to you know, be in the middle of it. Well, that's three generations of three generations of Star Wars. And it's a common theme that's there. That's the, that's an impact on society. There aren't that many things we can point to probably outside of sports, sports being another right. unique aspect that plays that there aren't too many things in our society that are, that carry across multi-generations that way in such a way that there's a commonality and a common language yeah. that that's expressed there. So again, the counterfactual, what happens if it's a flop, Something else comes to fill that role. I have no doubt about that, but I have no clue what that looks like. That's what makes this a tough counterfactual is I don't know what what you know what the alternative timeline is. Something comes along. I say that maybe nothing comes along that quite captures that thing. Maybe there is nothing that is three generational capable, you know, that binds you together with Legos and uh and, and and you know stormtroopers maybe you don't have that across yeah. multiple generations if there's no star wars and are we a better world or a worse world for not having that i don't know yeah which reminds me too talking about its far-reaching impact i played piano for a wedding a couple of weeks ago and would you all like to guess what the theme of the wedding was uh, I'm sure it probably had something to do with John Wayne Western since you mentioned that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it was fistful of dollars. Everybody had to bring a whole fistful to donate. And uh, that was how they were raising money for the honeymoon. No, it was a Star Wars wedding. And it was one of the most fun weddings I've ever been to. Um, I played the the love theme from um, episode two, I think, um, as they were coming down the aisle. Um, they had the... Uh, the um, uh, uh, ceremony music from the end of A New Hope uh, as they walked out. But like all the decorations and everything, and, and my favorite part, and I'll see if I can send you this picture, Don, if you want to share it. In the restroom, in the men's restroom above the urinals, they had two signs. One said, stay on target, stay on target. And another one said, <laughs> the other one said, There's another phrase. I'm like a Jedi, not a stormtrooper. And, uh, I got a, a great laugh out of those. And again, I would not have had that experience with that far. Yeah. Hey, and again, we, we sort of chase some things here down to the end and we'll need to sort of draw things to a close. But the other thing that just popped in my mind when you were talking about that is one of the things that happens in episode seven, the first of the latter trilogy is mm -hmm. the, um, I can't even think of the Pope. That's the name, not Pope, but the, um, uh, the other character, um, the other, oh, Finn? Would, yeah, hey. Finn, Finn, Finn. Oh. Um, who is a, we come to find out, unlike the stormtroopers we were familiar with in the original series, which we later learn are all clones of, yeah. of, of, um, of, um, Jango of, Fett. Uh, yeah, of a, of a bounty hunter, nonetheless. Yeah. But, um, but we discovered that in the case of Finn, he's constricted conscripted into this position. And so he's, he's looking for a way out of that. And so suddenly, yeah. What we have there is, you know, what I remember very distinctly from the original trilogy is the idea of stormtroopers and this uniformity that's in a bad sense. It's, you know, it's uh, mm -hmm. it's an it's an imperial world that's an oppressed an oppressed society, you know, that's kept in line by these literally faceless uh, soldiers, you know, that are that are, you know, and then we come later 
to see that what is carried out through the story arc is that here's a here's a stormtrooper. He's not a stormtrooper by choice, and he wants to be something different. And you yeah. know, there is something to be said there that you know maybe that's an incredibly simplistic storytelling mechanism, perhaps, but it doesn't make it any less powerful. And it's relatable yeah. for everybody because it's inside of Star, the Star Wars universe and genre and the way that people think about that. And, uh, you know, that that to me, I guess, is also one of the enduring impacts. And again, in the counterfactual where Star Wars is a flop, something else probably carries that thing. But I have no clue what that is that, that tells that story and does it yeah. in a way that everybody relates to. Um, again, there's probably something there, but we would be talking about something entirely different. And again, it may be a genre that we're not even, you know, not even familiar with. Or, or yeah. even said, Don, nothing takes its place. Yeah. And and, 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 and I really, you know, I, all along I thought, well, something takes its place. Well, why do you assume that Don, <laughs> you, you know, that you know it's, it may be, there's no real action figures. There's no merchandise tied to any movies. There was never a Marvel cinematic universe. You know, yeah. poor, poor Ryan, you know, he would have to have lived without his Transformers, as you mentioned earlier. <laughs> <laughs> movie, I, you know, it's, it, 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 I, you know, I think that that's a possibility that basically nothing takes its place, I think. My theory and, is we would have just had all these, these Disney remakes just much earlier. And that's all, that's all the movies would be now. It's just Disney remakes just, just over and over. So we take and animated that, stuff and make it live action, and then eventually we have to make it animated again, right? Yeah, because by yeah. the time they make it animated again, the the kids who are kids then they won't have seen the original animated one, and they just repeat this ad now. So yeah, that's, I, that's think, my I, think that, I think that's a possibility. The only other thing I want to mention here, as we and we conclude conclude down, I really appreciate you guys joining today. Is I can't help but be struck by the fact that as we're recording this, we're also just recently coming off of the 50th anniversary of the, the Apollo landing. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And so, yeah. uh, you know, that 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 overlaps my life tremendously well. I was I was all of one when that happened, so I don't remember it. But uh, born well, in from Jackson. what I understand, the Star Wars movies inspired Stanley Kubrick to do the fake moon landing. Isn't that? <laughs> <laughs> On the new podcast that I'm launching, podcast that I'm launching, conspiracies for all. We'll cover that. Um, but it's interesting that part of the reason I bring that up is that you'd have logically thought that space was the fertile place to go, mm-hmm. and maybe that's what actually was resonating around with Lucas. And you know, he's in seventy five, seventy six, seventy seven, doing this movie because that's literally just a few years removed from the Apollo landing. Uh, but even though those things are connected they're disconnected in my mind, which is sort of an interesting concept as well, because, you know, one of the other great science fiction movies of all time is very not star Wars. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, 2001, a space odyssey mm. and, you know, visually impactful special effects, uh, were greatly moved forward with some of what was done there, but, you know, we're not living in, in a star Wars cult. We're not living in a space 2000, uh, 2001, a space odyssey culture. We're living in a star Wars culture. And yeah. so 
the argument that I'll make there, and maybe this is redundant and maybe it doesn't make any sense to anybody but me, I don't think the magic of Star Wars was necessarily space. The magic of Star Wars was that hero's journey story being told yeah. in a familiar format that people could could latch on to. Because if, if it was just we were going to be fascinated by space, like I said, a 2001 and Logan's Run, which was a science fiction film, not a space film, but a science fiction film before Star Wars, that would have captured imagination if this was really about science fiction. But mm-hmm. I don't think Star Wars was about what, – what made Star Wars relatable was, yeah, it was – there was, as Robert described, there was that really cool Star Destroyer scene, which we had never seen anything like that before, to lead it off. But then what you quickly saw was, okay, there's this Laurel and Hardy sort of relationship that's going on between two droids. I have no idea what a droid is at that point, but I know that those guys are a lot like Laurel and Hardy, so I can identify with them. So, you know, Star Wars is science fiction, but I think the magic of Star Wars and how it shaped culture is that it's not because it's science fiction. It's almost in spite of the fact that it's science fiction, even though it, it, it as we talked about earlier, got the ground hold for a whole bunch of other science fiction. It, it's the story and the and the character arcs in right. Star Wars that, that, that make it what it was. And, and I guess, like you said, it, in a way, the, the sci-fi part of it is almost incidental. Right. Yeah, you know, Han Solo is a, a Western gunslinger mercenary. That's what he is. Yeah, he just happens to be set in the. He just happens to be set. He could just as easily have. Uh, I don't know what the Millennium Falcon would have been in a Western genre. I guess it's his. You know, his his horse wagon or whatever it would be. That's what it would be. And you know, Chewbacca is, I guess, some type of Tonto sidekick, maybe in this. You know, in yep. this in this in this alternate concept, but you know. His character is universal. It just happens to be inside of, of of a science fiction genre. And then I remember for me, you know, about the most imp- one of the most impactful things was, you know, Luke. Luke is the hero, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Except that he doesn't pull that off if Han Solo doesn't come back and care, right? Yeah. And, you know, at the end of that, when they're when they're attacking the Death Star at the end of the movie. By the way, if you're going to build the most powerful space station in the universe, you don't <laughs> don't, don't have a glaring flaw in your defenses well, that, that can hey, be- that flaw was built in <laughs> by the designer yeah. on yep. purpose and he told yeah. his daughter about it <laughs> that that was probably my favorite movie outside of the original trilogy was by the Rogue, way Rogue One yeah Rogue One yeah I feel like that was well done and I think that's part of why I liked it because similar to Empire Strikes Back which is my favorite of the original trilogy it doesn't really have a happy ending um, you know, your, your characters that you love and are rooting for die at the end. And, and the, you know, what's uh, all these rebels are getting slaughtered, but it's a, a good story. And it, it did a better job, I feel like, than any part of the prequels did about kind of filling in what happened before. Right. You know, but, and, yeah. and I guess if you if you ever want to figure out what the impact of Star Wars is, the answer is it's the only movie where they literally developed a hundred million dollar other movie to cover up a plot hole. Yeah. <laughs> well said. And, and, and thanks to successful merchandising, retaining the rights to certain things, you actually have the money to be able to go and uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, to, to go and do it right. I mean, that's the you know that that's the power that's there. Well, good. Uh, any closing thoughts, Robert? Uh, just it, it its impact is immeasurable in our culture today that we live in. It really is. Um, just it's it's really hard to imagine. Like you said, Don, what would it have been without? Had it flopped? 
Yeah, we could be li- we could be living in a team culture for all we know right now. For lack of a lack of a better thing to pick out something from the early eighties. <laughs> Ryan, any closing thoughts? Uh, I, I'll share a joke that that I didn't get to earlier. So when you were talking about language, I thought you were going to talk about the fact that despite that this happens a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, most characters there speak English, and. The reason for that, though, is because the sun never sets on the British Empire, and they didn't say which sun. No sun ever sets on the British Empire. So that that explains that. If anybody's ever wondered why they speak English. Um, no, I, it's funny because I hadn't really thought about how much of an impact Star, Star Wars has had on my life until um, we did this podcast. But so much of the music I've played and, and the toys I've played with and, and the movies I've seen and um, you know, just the things you talk to people about um, have Im- been impacted by it. And, uh, you know, our, our, we talked about diversity in our culture and, and there's so much good that comes from that. Our culture is not as unified as it used to be. Like you said, back in the day, there were three channels. And and sometimes I worry about what that impact will have on our culture. But again, why Star Wars and things like that are so important, because that is still one of the very few things that so many people are aware of and are fans of and it's one of the few still unifying elements i feel like in our society so um i don't know if anything would have filled that void if it were gone and and we could be living in a, a pretty different place without it yeah so that you know we're, we're now 77 to you know tonight to yeah, 2019 it, it's, a, it's a long time you know so it also makes me wonder you know 100 years from now what what is the impact there? I, I think a hundred years from now, there it won't be all the elements we're talking about now because those will be lost as those who had the firsthand experience to it die out and other things come along. Uh, but somewhere, somewhere, I believe, may the force be with you. A hundred <laughs> years from now is going to yeah. be something that is something that is remembered, and yeah. they'll know more or less where it came from not everybody will but it'll still exist in culture and when you think about the number of things that have the ability to survive beyond a a couple of days in culture particularly in our culture today beyond a couple of weeks but a couple of years when you start talking about the things that last for centuries and multiple centuries and then you know ultimately the things that last for millennia that's a pretty short list when you put it together and when we talk about the impact of Star Wars, it has the chance to be on that fairly short list of still being impactful a hundred years from now. You know, it's going to be remembered as a cultural phenomenon because it is so ingrained. And so, again, a strange way to talk about the counterfactual here because we've actually talked very little about the alternative because we spent so much time talking about the reality except to say, well, without that, what would it be? Without that, what would it be? Is that without that, there would not be that impact a hundred years from now, whatever that impact looks like. And um, I, I agree with what Robert said there a couple of minutes ago. Maybe nothing comes. Maybe it's yeah. nothing. Yeah. Good stuff. Okay, guys, I really appreciate you joining today. I hope our listeners enjoyed our little trip through uh, through our personal timelines, our personal digging out a little bit of the stuff that's in our personal closets when it comes to this. But I'm also guessing that any listener who is of any age to have been exposed to any of this, we probably stirred up inside of them similar types of personal memories that connect to this, which I think makes the point of why this is so impactful, is that your story may not be the same as mine or Robert's or Ryan's, 
but you have a Star Wars related story probably somewhere in your life. And the fact that you do that connects us somehow and connects you to somebody else. So uh, there's there's the power. And I guess at the end of the day, even though we had to endure Christmas specials and Transformers <laughs> and who knows what else, at the end of the day, we're probably better off for Star Wars not having flopped. Uh, because uh, I, th- I think it did have an impact on culture. It certainly had an impact on the three of us. If it didn't impact culture, it certainly impacted the three of us. <laughs> that much we've also demonstrated tonight. Again, I'll give you guys one last chance. Anything you want to say before we close? Thank you for having us on, Don. I really appreciate it. I enjoyed you guys. Uh, have you back for some other topic. And I'll just also mention the listeners. I'll, I'll be recording probably the close out here after after we disconnect from this panel discussion. But uh, this is not something that's just reserved for people that I know like Ryan and Robert. If you're out there in our listening universe and you have, uh, have some topics you want to suggest, uh, let us know what those are. And uh, if they're compelling enough, well, you, you too can come and join us and because uh, this is about building a community uh, that enjoys exploring counterfactuals. Uh, the way that I always like to describe this is part of the ways that we learn, for example, our native language better is when we study another language because we have to do something through translation. And I think in my mind, that's the way that I connect looking at alternate history is I understand our real history better when I think about what the alternative might have been. It gives me a new appreciation for the reality that's there. So uh, I'll, on that deep philosophical non-Jedi note, I will uh, <laughs> I will close out here and bid everybody a good night. And I guess I'm, I'm automatically compelled by the nature of the topic of the episode to say that as you go forth, I have to wish that the uh, Force be with you. And so, And when you come to a fork in time, Take it, you will. I must readily confess to you that it wasn't until after the episode uh, was over in terms of the recording and I was going back to do the editing that I really picked up on the clever thing that Ryan did right there at the end. I hope you picked up on it, too, uh, where he used a little Yoda speak to uh, describe what you should do when you uh, get to a fork in the road. Uh, Take it, you should. And uh, it, as I was thinking about that and appreciating uh, Ryan's humor, which is one of the things that I enjoy a great deal, which is part of the reason I like to have him join the podcast, was the realization that in the almost hour and a half that we spoke about the influence of Star Wars on culture, we hadn't even touched on that. Uh, that was thrown in there late, the impact of a, uh, of a uh, grammatically challenged puppet uh, from a galaxy far, far away. If that's a politically correct thing to say or not, I don't know. Uh, but I just wanted to acknowledge uh, what I didn't acknowledge there in the real-time recording because I sort of didn't hear it, but certainly appreciated it with a with a hearty laugh after the fact as I was going back to do the audio editing and realizing uh, that he had done that. So, uh, again, I wanted to say thank you. Again, I know I thanked them while we were on the, on the line recording at the time, but I want to say thank you again to Robert and Ryan uh, for joining on the podcast today. I also want to say thank you again to you, our listeners. Uh, for being part of what we do here at the Fork in Time. Uh, we're still finding our way on this journey as we look at alternate history. We're trying to find our voice and our format and all the things that will be this podcast. And we thank you for being patient with us as we head down the journey and as we go along the way. As always, we encourage you to check out our website. That's a aforkintimepodcast.com. You can find all types of things there that will give you more information about the podcast, uh, ways that you can offer feedback to us, uh, certainly other ways that you can support us, uh, the things that we mention almost on every episode. So I'm not going to go into detail here, but just again suggest that if you uh, take the time to go and visit us there at our little corner of the web, 
That's aforkintimepodcast.com. Again, the A is important. The podcast is important. Uh, that you'll find lots of uh, ways that you can interact with us and provide us, again, valuable feedback and uh, become part of the community uh, that we're trying to build here as we move through. Uh, as we uh, come to the close of the episode, I also, again, want to uh, thank you again for your time, which is always the most generous gift that you can give as a listener. And uh, we don't take that for granted and hope that we continue to offer up something that is entertaining, entertaining, informative, um, just sparks maybe some thought. If we've uh, if we've caused you to think or to laugh or to smile today, uh, then we've done something that makes the world a better place. And uh, so, again, we thank you for joining us. So as I sign off here now, uh, this is Don Shelley with Fork in Time, the Alternate History Podcast, hoping that you'll join us on the next episode and uh, see where history takes us if we had just taken a different turn. Thanks. Thanks for listening to A Fork in Time, the alternate history podcast. Join us next time.